man. I just always knew church could be like this. I always went to the movies. I'm like, man, why am I so inspired here and so not inspired in church? When I was a kid, and I just love, oh, man, that, that's the fourth time I've seen that. And I'm like, I just want to be a horse so bad. Um, but hopefully by the end, you'll figure out that it's actually better to be a human uh, than a horse. But I've just always been intrigued with horses, the smell of horses, just the sound of them chewing hay if you get up near their jawbone. Um, I love the smell of horse manure. Anybody just love the smell of horse scat? Oh, I'm, I'm all about that. I just love horses. And uh, horses have just been such a huge part of civilization from the beginning, whether it's transportation, whether it's warfare, whether it's agriculture, whether it's industry. I mean, horses and man sort of have relied on each other since the beginning of time, and there's something special about the horse. Um, I uh, Actually, this whole series was born out of a, a week in my life that happened way back in, at the end of July and the beginning of August, right from when I was coming off of my sabbatical and when I was starting into ministry after three months off. And I will never forget, it actually didn't start with the animal, the horse, it started with the dog. Some of you were here when I shared, when I was 25 years old, I was visiting my in-laws in New Jersey, and uh, we were at a donut shop, and up to that point, I had a great relationship with dogs. Um, everything changed that day, I came out of the donut shop, and there was a Rottweiler about 15 feet away from me, he was supposed to be chained up, he was not chained up, we caught eyes with each other, we made eyes with each other, as some say, it was not a good thing, I could tell he was coming after me, and I turned, and he attacked, and, uh, and bit into my thigh, and just punctured my thigh, and it was just scary, scary stuff. And um, I had Cammie at the time, and she was uh, about three years old, um, and she'd already gotten into the car, so thank God she wasn't with me, or I probably would have gotten mauled. I ran away, my flip-flops flew out, I threw my dozen donuts at the dog, it got him distracted, diffused the situation, and I was literally running down the road and scared to death. I think I would have been okay quite honestly, as I look back at the story, if that was the end of it. Because, you know, accidents happen, bad things happen. The next day, I'm out golfing with a youth pastor in New Jersey. I shank one off to the left-hand side, and it was by a housing development. There was a four-foot uh, chain-link fence there. And I look, and I'm looking at my ball, and I look at the house, and there's a doghouse. And by the doghouse, there's a dog. And yes, Yes, it was a Rottweiler, and it wasn't chained up, and it came running to me, and I'm like from here to the end of the stage, away from a chain link fence, keeping me from that ferocious beast, and it came up, I was like, and I was just paralyzed, like my ball is right there, I couldn't move, and in two days, these two Rottweilers came into my life and changed everything. Now, when I see a Rottweiler, I was at Red Barn last, like this... I think it was this last summer. A Rottweiler's right there at the picnic table at its owner's you know, feet on a leash. My blood temperature goes to about 103. My adrenaline kicks in, and it's like a trauma. It's the only way that I can actually identify with people that experienced something that was traumatic in the past, and it triggers that in my life. And you don't have to write me about your dogs and how your dog is the exception to the rule. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I love your dog, you can love your dog, but there are just certain dogs that do that to my spirit. So your dog doesn't get any 
sort of uh, excuse for that. I was out and I was running on the last Sunday before I started work on, on the Monday. It was July 30th. And I went to church and I came back in the afternoon and I just started feeling uh, tormented and tortured in my mind. I was so excited about everything I experienced in the three weeks. I was excited to get back. But somewhere in the midst of that, there was sort of regret um, that I was sort of nursing as well as a sort of fear of what I was going to be reintroduced into. And I was sort of in this in-between borderland. And I just felt like Satan turned up the heat and started with intruding thoughts and invasive thoughts and dark speech just began to pummel me. And for three months, I'd been running every day, and I live out in the country on the dirt road of Pharaoh and conservation right over there. And I just was like, honey, I got to get out and I got to run this off. I'm going to run until I can't run anymore. And so I started running down Pharaoh, turned right on conservation, went past Seedman Park, and I just kept running and running. I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn around. I was on the paved trails uh, just beyond Seedman Park, and I look up ahead of me, and there's this guy on the trail way up ahead of me, and there's two dogs next to him. And I thought, wouldn't it be so crazy if in the midst of all of this anxiety and fear and uh, torment that like Satan's already talking to me and I'm shouting at him through this whole run, just declaring what truth was to the lies that he was feeding me in my mind. I just, I was shouting it out. And I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if after all these years, those two Rottweilers there are those, those are actually Rottweilers. And I, the closer I got from here to the tech booth, I realized they are, and the owners put them on a leash because they're like, that's Jason. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's what he thought, but he's like, that, he put them on the leash. And I was like, I'm going to overcome this. If I've learned anything in my sabbatical, I don't need to be afraid. And so I, I started running, and in my brain was just like, I'm just going to run right past him, and they're going to get off the trail. And I'm going to run, and they're going to move off to the side. And my body just went right off and into the road and ran all the way around them. The adrenaline kicked in for about a minute to two minutes. I felt like I could run up Mount Everest. I was so filled with strength. And then the wall hit, and all the adrenaline came off, and I was so fatigued I could barely stand up. And yet I kept running. And then Satan just ratcheted it up and he started just attacking me with thoughts. I'll go through some of those in a little bit. It was the next week, the next Sunday, exactly a week after that, where I'd had a week of work, great reentry, great to be back with our church, great to be back with our staff. All the stuff that he told me to be afraid of, most of it was just a bunch of hogwash, uh, which is the Greek word for crap. And uh, so... I get to next Sunday and I go out for a run that evening, um, which was my custom at that time. And I'm running down the dirt road and coming down Pharaoh. And all of a sudden I hear this thunderous noise behind me. And it wasn't a car. Sometimes you can hear cars on the dirt road and get off to the side. This thunderous noise from my right came behind me. And I turned to my right. And this picture is what was right next to me. And it was... He, he came up and just faced this way, and the sun was just coming down from under the clouds, shining over him. And I was on the dirt road, and I stopped, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And it was just like looking this way. And um, then I, I moved down closer to the ditch to get closer to him, and the horse then turned in this next picture. And I was like, can I take a picture of you? 
And the horse just looked at me like this and just would not stare, didn't look anywhere else. And eventually I was like, I felt like the horse wanted me to give him a hug. But you're like, you think everyone and everything wants you to give it a hug and that's why you do. It's not always true, but I was like, I want to go hug that horse. So I came around this side of the horse, hugged up around its neck. I'm like, it's not going to let me do that. It's just going to shake me away because it's not my horse. I'm a stranger running on the side of the road. What are you doing? It actually just stayed right there. Let me hug him for as long as I wanted to. It was probably 10, 15 seconds I hugged him. And then I came away and just kind of pet the side of his jaw, scratched underneath you know, his jaw right here, pet his nose. And then I got on the dirt road and I started running. I got home and Heidi was like, well, how was your run? And I was like, it was crazy. Remember last week, the two like Rottweilers? This week, it was this horse that came up running alongside of me. And I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, as Michael Scott says in the office. I love that. I'm not superstitious, but it felt like something really intimate and something really spiritual happened in that moment. And she said, do you know that last week it was the exact same time that the two dog thing happened to you? And she said this to me exactly. She said, I wonder if last week God, at Satan asked God, will you let me do the Rottweiler thing on Jason? Because it had been you know, years before I'd had that kind of close encounter. Will you let me do the Rottweiler thing on him? And if, and if I let you do that, then I get to do the horse thing on him next week. And that just stuck in my brain that Sunday night. I woke up the next morning, went to the Y, worked out. I was on my way to Sweet Seasons, the coffee shop. And I went over and this horse thing was just on my mind. And all of a sudden the Lord brought to me a verse from Job. I didn't know exactly where it was, but I remember when God was talking back to Job at the end of Job and talking about the glory of the horse. I just felt like God was like, you've got to find that passage and read through that passage. I want you to see that passage, Jason. And so I, I opened it up because there was something about this day, this August 7th on Monday morning when I read this passage where God speaks of the physique and the psyche of the horse that it, it's just what my heart needed, my masculine heart needs, your feminine heart needs, our Christ follower heart needs in a world where I feel like we feel like we're being dominated under the dominion of the sort of the prince of darkness. And I just want you to know today we are going to like, we're going to fight back. Is that okay? We're going to fight back today. I opened up to Job 39 verse 19. It says, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust or strike terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray, Jay. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It doesn't shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. Almost as like God invented rap before rap invented rap. Like, in frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It can't stand still when the trumpet sounds. Like Jay-Z before Jay-Z knew what rap was. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Aha! Like it's excited, it catches the scent from the battle, from afar, the shout of the commanders and the battle cry. And I read that over and over and over again on August 7th. And I said, that 
is the kind of guy I want to be. That's, that's the kind of person I want to be. And I felt in this poetic text, God was calling me toward a strength and a glory and a fearlessness that I, I needed in that moment. I wanted to be in the throes of the battle and, and to have that kind of spirit and to attack life like a horse. This picture, I found this last week. I wanted to be in the middle of that frenzy and that fray. And then I found another one where I want to run with the horses in the wild. Doesn't that look like Brian Robacher right there, you know? But no, that's me with a beard looking like Mel Gibson. Anyway, I just was like, I want to be out there in the wild, free, unfettered life. The fearlessness of the horses described by his maker. I wanted to be that kind of husband and father and friend and pastor. If God made the horse with that kind of glory, how much more the crown of his creation, human beings. Even the psalmist said in Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him, but you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. He crowned us, ladies and gentlemen, with glory and and honor. And then the psalmist said, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How could you be so good to us to not take all the glory and all the honor, but to bestow on us a, a particular honor and glory and endow us with that? And why do we live so below that on so many given days? That's the question I ask. Why am I so oppressed and possessed with doubt? and dread, and paranoia, and pain, and regret, and guilt, and fear, and shame, and worry, and anxiety. Why? I want to be like the horse. I want that strength spoken of in the beginning of this text. I wanted to proudly snort and strike terror in the enemy. That's what we're going to talk about today. I wanted to paw fiercely rejoicing in my strengths instead of wallowing in my weaknesses. Anybody else here want that? I wanted to charge into the fray each day unfettered and unafraid. The fray of each day, the messiness, the tension of each day. I wanted to laugh at fear, never shying away from the sword, even if the sword meant sorrow, even if it meant suffering, even if it meant struggle. I I don't want to shy away from that stuff. Not this side of, you know, east of Eden and west of heaven. It's nothing but fray every day down here. You got to crash into it. I wanted to just live with a frenzied excitement eating up the ground each morning where the joy of the Lord is my strength. How many of you wake up with frenzied excitement? That's what I thought. Nobody. Dan Boone was the only one this morning. He's like, I do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, tell me something I don't know. But other than Dan, I wanted to be able, unable to stand still in my eagerness to get in on the action each day like the horse. I wanted to catch a scent of the battle from afar and say, aha, instead of uh-oh. I wanted to hear the shout of my commander and respond to his voice and his calling and my call on my life with strength. I wanted that power. So today we're going to start a six-week series going through some of the characteristics of the horse that I long to possess, that I want our church to exude and exhibit in the world in which we live that is pressing in around us. 
The title of the message today, if you take notes or care to take notes, is Striking Terror. Striking Terror. Job 39, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? When I read this text again this week, I felt a couple declarations surface in my heart as it relates to approaching life with this kind of mindset. These were the the two declarations that I felt. I want to attack life in a way that strikes terror in the heart of Satan. And when I wake up in the morning, I want the devil to say, oh, crap. Oh, crap. An impactor just got employed at that place. I've controlled that shop my whole life. I'll be darned if I'm going to give it over to an impactor to go and environmentally change and atmospherically change the tone of the culture of that shop. Oh, dang. She just met a guy from impact crap I almost had her oh dang a guy or gal from impact just walked in to the coffee shop everything changes now second declaration came from more the proud snorting I want my proud snorting to come from a godly and gritty confidence that stems from my identity and authority in Christ I think there's a good sense of pride it's called dignity where you can hold your head up because you know who you come from and what you're made for and you don't have to cower and bow down and be shy and sheepish all the time that you can lift your head and you can walk around with dignity and with strength like the horse horse and be have proud snorting because it's gritty and it's godly because you know your identity and you know your authority and it comes in him and through him it's a different human i've met them there are these christians that are just flopping around and flailing around and wandering around and then there are these christians that claim their authority as sons and daughters of the great high king they're different I remember that run on that day, the last day of my sabbatical, the next day I wrote in my blog, um, a blog called Day One After Day One After My Sabbatical. And I wrote this in there. It said, my mind was all over the place last night, mostly filled with lies whispered so believably into my heart that I had to take a long run on our backcountry road and just shout them down. And when I say shout them down, I mean yell out loud at the intruding thoughts speaking lie, truth to those lies. I, I, in order to remember it, I wanted to write down what I called the deception and the declaration. Maybe this will help you because I I don't think this is just a pastor thing because I'm in ministry. I have a bullseye on me and you don't. I think everybody who asks Christ to be the Lord of their life now becomes a target of the enemy. And I believe deception isn't just something that is reserved for the men of the cloth, the women of the cloth, or the clergy, or the people who are up front as pastors and ministers and fathers and, and you know, the sisters of, of, of the Catholic Church or whatever. I don't think this is just like we just target the people who are at the top ranks of spiritual because everybody is in the priesthood of the believers and everybody has equal authority at the foot of the cross because of the blood of Christ. You are a priest. And so he comes after all of us with deceptions. Can I give you some deceptions and declarations that I could remember from that run that I was shouting down out loud? 
And I know there are probably people in their backyards or their front yards that were like, why is that guy out there yelling at things? There's nothing around him. What is he doing? He's a nut job. Yes, I am. Because when it's that real in my head, it's going to be that real coming out of my mouth. And I don't know how it works for you, but I can't fight in my head what's coming into my head. I have to actually hear my mouth declare it so my ears can hear it so I can believe it. And then my belief causes it to flee. I can't just in my mind fight fire with fire. I have to use my mouth and declare. First deception, nothing's fundamentally changed inside of you, Jay. It's been three months and you're the same cat you were when you started this thing. I was like, no, no, no. My work is not my worth. My focus is my family. That's not true. Well, you should have spent more time with your family then. Are you kidding me? I soaked in all the time I could wringing out every drop of every moment. That's a lie. It's almost as if nothing's happened. This one kept skipping on repeat in my mind over and over again. It's like all that went by. It's as if nothing really even happened to you. You're the same individual you were before. It did happen and it was so, so good. I will never forget it as long as I live. Well, you're going to get swallowed up and lose all your disciplines that you started. I fear that, but I feel a strength I didn't possess before to exercise mastery over my life. Well, you're going to hear a bunch of bad news that you've been shielded from. It's been stacking up. Wait until you go into the office tomorrow morning. You're just going to hear it hit you like a tsunami. Well, bring it on. I have the capacity to handle it, and I was made to bring redemption to the present. Well, there's still parts of you that are weak and undisciplined. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know. I'll never be perfect. I'm on a journey taken one step at a time. I'll keep working on areas of weakness bit by bit, and God's grace will fill in the gaps where I fall short. I, th- I think that's a really big one. When he reminds you of your last mistake, or he reminds you of what, where your failure is, you tell him that gap has been filled by the grace of God. How many of you need the grace of God in your life? I do every stinking day of my life. And whenever he reminds me, you you, you fall short of the glory of God, it's like, well, I already knew I fall short of the glory of God, but God is the one who spans the gap and fills the gap and gives me a relationship with God. Thank you very much. Well, people are expecting you to be a whole new man when you get back. Yeah, I don't want to base my life on the expectations of man or the approval of man anymore. I want to live out God's purpose for my life, for his pleasure. That's all I can do, and that's a good day. And he come back at me again. Well, people, you know, what if you're less impressive after the sabbatical than you were before? I already said I want to be who I am. Nothing more, nothing less. If I'm better, wonderful. If I'm worse, so be it. I want a congruent, aligned life inside and out. That's what I really want. Aren't you just a little scared that you don't have what it takes for the next leg of Impact's life cycle? I knew we were coming into the fall. I knew we were coming to the end of the one-year matching grant. I knew there was going to be a lot required of me in leadership and vision and execution. I, I knew what was coming down the pike, and he was reminding me, do you think you have what it takes? What if you're disappointed? What if it falls through? What, what if you don't get there? What if you're going after 900000 and you only raise 69000 What if you start asking for money and people are demoralized and they don't think you appreciate what they already gave and you're not grateful Ah! is this real or just what I feel 
I just remember saying, nah, I, I'm scared, yep. <laughs> but I felt that for years at about every impasse in the last 20 years of ministry. Sometimes I just have to lead afraid and trust that God will work out his strength in my weaknesses. Some of you here need to hear that today. Fear ain't going to go away. You just lead afraid and he'll give you the strength. Or he'll use your weakness to flex his muscles. That feeling of childlike love for people that came back over the last three months, how long is that going to last once you're in the trenches again with all the depravity that will just be like sewage coming at you? God showed me my inborn love for people. It's always been there. It was deposited by God and fanned into flame by my parents, and it's not going anywhere. It's who I am. I remember shouting that to him. It was awesome. I called my parents, and I said, it was deposited by God, and you fanned it into flame, and it's never going anywhere. I know that now. And then the last one, just as I was getting back to my driveway it said well it's over back to the grind you hear that every Sunday night don't you I said the sabbatical's over but I love my calling I was not called to rest the rest of my life I was called to be in the battle for people's souls and to introduce them to Jesus the freedom giver I'm meant for more than safety and security I'm made for risk and danger. I'm made to encourage people to advance with Christ into the world and bring the kingdom to earth as it is to heaven. And I remember I got to the end of the driveway, I got the mail out of the mailbox, and I shouted from the top of my lungs with a proud snort. It's day one, and I'm ready. I'm ready. Something about this passage, striking terror, with its proud snorting catapulted me into this new vision for my life each day. It's like God was saying to me, to say to you even today as I was studying it, aren't you tired of being owned by feelings and moodiness? Not just the person next to you if they're moody. Yeah, I'm not going to look. You can just do it. Yeah, you sick of feeling defeated and fatalistic and negative. We got some negative people in this room, fatalistic people, defeated people. Are you constantly feeling overwhelmed and overcome? Are you done with being dominated by dread and doubt? Is it getting old yet waking up depressed and oppressed? Are you constantly playing defense each day as life happens to you instead of you happening to it? Don't you hate feeling like a loser in life, believing that lie every day that you're stupid? You're not. You're not. Are you sick of that broken record rolling in your head? Do you want freedom from fear and anxiety and worry? Have you ever wondered where the passion went along the way as you've gotten older? I have. Do you ever question if this is the best it can get? Do you sit around wallowing in your weaknesses and your failure? Do you passively give over to resignation and desperation? Are you angry yet about feeling powerless and hopeless and helpless? Because I am. I'm sick and tired of seeing people sick and tired and being sick and tired. I'm tired of feeling like I'm always the one running and hiding, literally on the defense, defeated all day long. I want to turn the tables and strike terror and scare in the enemy for a change, being filled with God's spirit and my human spirit, giving me the power to attack life as a force to be reckoned with. No longer the one who's the defender, but the one who's in it as the contender.
This passage shot into my head of Jesus' life because he just modeled this so perfectly. He, he charged into the fray. There was just something about this passage in Job where I'm like, I see this in Jesus. He would strike terror in people and he would call others to go strike terror in the enemy. There's this passage in Luke chapter 10 where he invited outside of his 12 disciples what I call the new 72. He expanded his discipleship program and he was kind of giving them a little bit of a debriefing, a little bit of an orientation. And this is where we find him in Luke chapter 10. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him every day and every town, the place he was about to go, and he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers or warriors are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out those workers and warriors into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. That's a great pep talk right there. (laughs) It was going great right up to the lamb-wolf line. What you got here is you got a dark lamb. It's not the name of our series, but you got a lamb and you got wolves. And he says, you're not going to believe this, but with my identity and my authority, the prey turns into the predator and the predator turns into the prey. Now I want you to go out and I want you to, in my power, not, don't take anything with you. Don't take bags with you. Don't take sandals with you. Don't take anything with you. I want you to go out with just my name and my presence, and you watch and see what happens. And you come down to verse 17 after they go out and do ministry together two by two, and it said, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You're not going to believe it. Like, they are the prey. We are the predator. And he replied, I saw Satan, Jesus said this, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I've given you guys the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And a little later on it said, and at that time, Jesus was full of joy in the Holy Spirit. They're going to submit to you. You're going to have the authority. You're going to trample on them, and you will be the overcomer for a change. And it brought such nostril-flaring delight to Jesus that this is only mentioned once in the Bible where Jesus was full of joy in the Holy Spirit, insinuating this was the, the only time he laughed in delight at the sheer beauty of watching people live out what they were created for. It just brought him such passionate joy. Only thing better than having passion and joy to do something yourself is to watch people you have taught take on that same yoke and that, that same passion and to go live it out and to watch them do it. This is an exciting day in the life of Jesus. And what brought that joy? Well, what was it about? It was about Satan falling. It was about demons submitting. It was about them overcoming and, and, and released from it, unharmed, unscathed. That's what this joy was all about. This frenzy was all about. It, it's important to mention in the scriptures that anytime Jesus would come into the presence of an impure spirit or a demoniac or someone that was demon-possessed or demonized, the, the spirit's reaction showed you where the power was, what the pecking order was, if you will. <coughs> I mean, you look at Mark chapter 5, verse 10, 
It says the impure spirit, when Jesus came around, shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? That's what I think a demon sounds like. Son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. It's, it, which is like saying, in your own name, don't torture me. It's kind of cool. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Who does it look like is afraid? Who, who does it look like is struck with terror? Are you here to terrorize me, to torture me? And then they get on their knees and they beg him, please don't send us from the area. Could you send us to the pigs? So he sent them into the pigs. They became demonized and ran off a cliff and, and fell into the water and drowned. Not a good day to be that pig, pig farmer. You see also in Mark, he, he mentions another one, chapter 1, verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The other ones were like, are you going to torture us? You know, waterboard us or whatever. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He has the dominion and authority. He's the one presiding over them. It's clear. He is the one who is ruling and reigning in that scenario. And here's the key, ladies and gentlemen, and this is so important for you to understand because this is what the new covenant is all about. Before, God would be with people, but he never lived in people other than Jesus. The very spirit of Jesus now is inside and indwells all of those of us who call on his name and have declared him Lord of our lives. His very presence is inside of us. So when we come into a scenario or into some sort of scene or situation, the demons can tell whether we are like drawing upon our identity and authority in Christ or whether we do not know to care or care to know the power that we have that's vested in him. In Revelation I love where Jesus is like, I saw this vision of Satan falling like lightning from heaven. John had a revelation too in Revelation 12 where he said, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now I've come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ or Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, Satan, has, who accuses them before God day and night, has hurled been hurled down and they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death all this the salvation and the authority and the power and the kingdom of our god they, they came after him and they threw him down and the accuser of the brothers who accuses them day and night do you feel this in the day do you feel this in the night how many of you struggle with insomnia and at night your brain won't shut down and lies upon lies just keep coming at you like firebrands being shot at you by the enemy? It's, it's crushing. Insomnia is epidemic in our world and the enemy day and night is just accusing you and terrorizing you at night. And I'm telling you right now, he's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. You gotta fight back with truth. And the only truth I know to fight back with is the word of God. It's the only truth Jesus knew too. When Satan came after him and said, hey, turn the rocks into bread, he's like, no, 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 man, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'll tell you, Satan, this book scares the crap out of him. And when you're not in this book and you don't know this book, you'll never know your identity, you'll never know your authority, and you will be owned your whole life. 
You will be owned. I love in this place, they threw him down, and he, he is the accuser. He assaults, he ambushes, he attacks, he harasses, he torments, he content, con, you know, condemns you, he shames you, he guilts you. I get it all the time. I see it happening in other people. These people came against him with the authority and the kingdom and the salvation and the power of God. They threw him down by two things, the power of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They come to him and say, hey, I think Jesus already took care of you on the cross, if I remember correctly. Number two, look at my life, how I've been changed by the gospel. You got nothing to say to me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. Old things are gone, the new has come. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you very much. Look at my life. It has power. And they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. The opposite of striking terror is shrinking back. What I'm trying to teach you today from the scriptures is God meant us to strike terror and attack life because we are the ones who are the overcomers. Not to shrink back. I'm tired of watching marriages fall apart. I'm tired of watching homes just filled with darkness and depression and yelling and screaming and bickering and anger. I'm tired of watching our world just crumble because the light of the world is hidden under a bushel for yet another day, hiding back, shrinking back. It's time to stand up and speak up. Want to hear a cool story? Want to hear a cool story? Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm monologuing, so it's, you're going to hear it anyway. <laughs> Today at 4 o'clock, something really cool is going to happen. I'm heading over to Ionia Prisons, and we've planted a couple churches in the prison. Some of you know that we've planted all these churches uh, in West Virginia and in this state, and we're just all, all these churches, but two are in the, the prison led by the pastor, Nate Smith. And it was about a month ago uh, that he gave a message and called uh, prisoners to salvation. There's like 60 that can cram into two of the rooms uh, that he has. And he's got 120 and 62 of them gave their life to Christ. And it just so happened that there was a changing of the guard and the old uh, chaplain wouldn't allow them to baptize these guys. But the new chaplain said, sure, you can baptize these guys. So today I'm going with all the other church plant pastors. We're going over there at four o'clock. We're getting into the prison and we're going to baptize 62 prisoners today at four o'clock. I can't wait. I'm going to be scared and excited all at the same time. I just can't wait. And we can't bring in a trough, and there ain't no pond, but we're all coming with, with Adirondack mountain water, and we're pouring bottles and just drenching these guys, 62 of them. are just going to say, how crazy is it? At a place where you think Satan would rule and reign, where the kingdom of darkness would have all authority and power and dominion, it's like there is no place where Christ is not. There is no place where Christ cannot break the chains of sin. And it, it, it's crazy amazing to me that while people are incarcerated, while they're in prison, they get set free. I love that. Only Jesus can do that kind of crazy stuff. I'll tell you who needs to be afraid. It's the enemy. We're going to strike terror in him today. 
Because we're coming into the darkest places. We're pressing into the prisons and we're saying, you can't have these guys. We're coming for them. Christ is going to save them. The Bible makes it clear we're supposed to attack life. And I was thinking of verses that just embattle me and embolden me when it comes to wreaking havoc in hell. Because I love wreaking havoc in hell. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's an offensive thing. He, he runs, you stand to him. Peter even said the same thing. Be alert and self-controlled. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you resist him, standing firm in the faith. You stay standing there and you look him in the eye and say, I got the power. 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God. That's the key. And that's why you can overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you believe that? Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome with all this evil in our society, but you overcome it with good. Hashtag good news, not fake news. Man, I wish that network was running. You know the only one that's going to run the good news network? Us. Things aren't what they seem, everybody. He might be the prince of the power of the air, but there is the king who rules the universe, and he bows down, and he asks permission what he can do and where he can go and when he can do it. Never forget, the king still reigns. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing, no one. He's on our side. It's the right side of the scrimmage line. Not if you're Ohio State, last night to Iowa. Talk about a dark horse. Don't even get me started. I love this one, Deuteronomy 28.7. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against those that rise against you to be defeated before you. And they will come out at you one way and flee before you seven ways. Isn't that awesome? They will spread like the cockroaches they are. This last one might be just what the doctor ordered for you, the great physician ordered, so to speak. Psalm 44, 5, through you, God, we will push back our adversary as impactors. Through your name, we will trample down he who rises up against us. I love pushing back the darkness. I love punching the devil in the throat. And so I, I want this to be our mindset. I want our church to attack life in a way that strikes terror in the heart of Satan this week. When we wake up in the morning, I want the devil to say, oh crap, can you do that? You can, through Christ, not through your own grit and your own willpower and skill power. Second, I want our church's proud snoring to come from the godly confidence that stems from our identity and authority christ if you want those verses you can email me i've been emailing people those verses since last night i'd love to give those to you so you can arm yourself with truth well i wanted to talk about what i think we struck a real blow to the enemy in this campaign as we've just aggressively gone after 3.5 million dollars our campaign consultant said based on what your church gives through its operating budget, you will be killing it if you can raise 1.8 million to 2 million in the demographics you are as a church. 
I just said that. That will be the best that you probably can do. So plan on taking out and leveraging some debt at the end of it. But I'm like, but we have a $3.5 million grant. I don't want to like only get $2 million of that. With our $2 million, I have $4 million. I have $3 million in debt. So I've been praying for 22 months against all odds. The dark horses that we all are. The underdogs that we all are. Against all odds, God, could you please do something that we could never do in our own power so that after it's been done, we will say this has been done by the hand of God, stirring his people to action. So last week, we were going after $900,000 to to raise $3.5 million added together with the $2.6 we raised last year, which was phenomenal in and of itself. And I wanted to share with you the final number. Can you just get a drum roll here? Here we go. The final number from last week, you ready for this? Is right here. That's what came in last week. That's not awesome. God is good. Great job, church. So all together, mixed together with what we raised. But this is what our church raised, 3.67 million dollars, this church. And you've continued to be faithful in tithing. That's what's crazy. Continue to say, God, you're going to get what's yours. This is above and beyond that. So all together with the matching grant at the $7 million goal, we reached it and exceeded it by $179,000. Unbelievable. We're the dark horses, baby. We're the dark horses by the power of God. And what you can do with his identity and his authority, that's unspeakable. It's hard to imagine. You are only limited by your imagination if you would only tap into his power by his spirit. So we're going to stand up. We're going to sing the end of a song. Why don't you turn to like three or four people around you and say, we did it. That's God and me and you. We did it. Give somebody a hug, a Jason hug. Give him a good old Jason hug.